This is Charlotte Laws, author of Rebel in High Heels. And I don't really listen to I Doubt It with Dalamar because I would lose all, all self-respect. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, here we are. Episode 145. Believe it or not, we've made it this far. It's like 150 seems like a monumental number we should like pay attention to, doesn't it? I guess you can't talk because I haven't said your name. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, as always, is the lovely, talented, intelligent, and apparently silent until spoken to, Brittany Page. Well, we've done that before, and then I get yelled at for talking when I'm not introduced. So it's a problem. Welcome to the very special, this very special episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. It's going to be a good one. We've got a lot to cover in a little bit of time. I'm a little tired, to tell you the truth, as I try to adjust my mic stand as furiously as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, the audience knows that we, we've we turned off our cable. Yes, it was a hard decision. We no, we no longer have cable, and we are, or were, super TV weirdos. Mm-hmm. So what has happened as a result of the subsequent turning off of AT&T U-verse... We now run eight miles a day. That is not the case. Oh, okay. We still veg out in front of the TV, but what we do is it's it's almost like a... I would equate it to like a drug addiction. Okay. Where we... It's chasing the dragon, falling down the rabbit hole, watching... YouTube. Yeah, sick amounts, <laughs> diseased amounts of YouTube. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, what happens is we watch, like, I know about more movies that are coming out in several months because of YouTube than I ever have before. Right, we watch endless amounts of movie trailers. Yeah, a lot. Mm-hmm. And also what it has reinforced is that uh, I don't think scary movies are scary anymore. Yeah, I have that too. We've talked about it before, but it's definitely a new thing that has occurred because I used to be terrified of scary movies. Oh, yeah. Well, my scariest movie was like The Exorcist when I was a kid. Yeah. Anything spiritual really fucked me up. Okay. Well, we'll know the age difference here when I say (laughs) mine. Um, (laughs) Well, what, what is yours, Brittany Page? I would say... The Sixth Sense. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because... The scariest movie. It was for me, yes. Especially like people being under beds. And I mean, these things were very problematic for me when I was young. (laughs) The the under the bed thing. Yeah. Not the scene of the dead people. Well... Spoiler alert, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) The dead people were under the bed is the problem. Oh, right. Yeah. And then also vomiting. That's germs. Misha Barton. Misha Barton was Mm -hmm. under the bed. Mm -hmm. And she was the puker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no good. It was horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, so I used to be afraid. Now I'm not. We watched some trailer for a scary movie, and it was laughable. Well, not just not just watching the trailer, because they are laughable. Maybe it's just because I don't believe 
And I guess it's just reinforcement that I really, truly don't believe in the supernatural. Because when we went to see The Conjuring or the... Yeah, that's what it's called. It was terrible. I it, do... I do have to say something, though, because yeah. we did see a preview in the movies a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And I was so afraid I didn't watch it. I put it, my head down. It was... Um, averted my gaze. It's where the kids go to visit the grandparents, and it's got like Saturday Night Live people in it. It's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah, it, I think it might be. And I don't know what it's called. I think it's like The Weekend or something, The Getaway or yeah. something. And it was not good for me. But it's not based on spirituality or the supernatural. It's like the grandma is mentally ill. I don't know what's and, going on. You know... People are wreaking havoc on on her grandchildren. People are being violent and mean, and that scares me. Yeah, and a lot of quick, swift movements too, which is never yeah, in the dark. It's never a good yeah, time. Yeah, I don't like it. All right. Well, a couple episodes ago, we talked about a handbook that was given out from the University of New Hampshire on. Well, I think they called it the bias-free language guide, mm-hmm. which in itself is just overthought. Just the title itself, just. Gives me angst. Well, we got a call in due course, because that is what happens. And our listener took issue, mild issue, and very, very uh, courteous issue with my issues <laughs> with the with the bias-free language guide. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. This is Chris Hoff, host of the Radical Therapist podcast. I'm... I uh, just wanted to phone in regarding uh, episode 144 where you guys were talking about the University of New Hampshire's kind of suggested languaging to avoid microaggressions, et cetera, et cetera. I agree with Brittany that I think um, in, you know, calling somebody a poor person essentializes their identity and kind of uh, limits other kinds of conclusions about who they might be as a person. And by by kind of externalizing what she said, Either uh, experiencing poverty or struggling with poverty kind of gives some people some room for other identity considerations. And uh, Brittany can translate all of that for you, uh, Jesse, <laughs> if it doesn't make any sense. I think, also, I think you're I shitting on me. I say, like most things, it's complex. It, that report isn't all good or all bad, because I think some terms like elder, I, I get a whiff of like possible colonizing of language, because I know in a lot of communities, elder is a very much a term of respect, of acknowledgement, of wisdom, and uh, to to kind of say that that's kind of an all-encompassing um, bad term. I don't know if that's quite effective. So uh, that's my two cents. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks. Always a listener. Bye. Well, I I have a lot to say. As, oh God! As I guess the audience would expect, and through the magic, the sheer magic of geographical proximity, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we have the aforementioned caller, soon to be Doctor Chris Hoff, sitting with an arm's reach. <laughs> Of your humble host, Chris, how are you? And thank you for coming in. Hey, Jesse. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And Brittany, nice to see you. Glad that you're here and that you agree with me. <laughs> Not a shock. <laughs> you know, you hippy-dippy liberal intellectual academics. How dare you? Yes. And, you know, you, me. 
normal yeah. salt of the earth fellow. Oh. <laughs> so I was, I was actually listening to that message. I was like, wow, I, was, I sound pretty good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me, tell me where I'm wrong. He did. <laughs> tell me where I'm wrong to my face. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, like I said, I took issue of, um, I think our uh, our need to put a single story on people, and um, I, and this idea of calling, you know, somebody a poor person really totalizes their identity in a way. That Does it though? Does it? Is it all encompassing? I'm tall. I'm a tall person, but that's not all that I am. It's just one aspect of many, maybe infinite aspects. Yeah, but I don't, in that context, I don't think, I think it, and I love what I like about hearing your show, Jesse, is that you really do, <laughs> you really do hate that idea of, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I you, do hate it. Yeah. yeah. You said that several times. And I think. When you um, call somebody, say, a poor person, you are ignoring all the structural conditions, the systemic conditions that are at play uh, in that um, kind of person's life or the context that's at play. And it, it kind of puts, I think, it puts it on the person, like it, hmm. it essentializes them in that way. And so um, I, th I do think that's kind of problematic. But like I said in my message to you, there's a there's a there's this, you know you're hearing voices on both sides of you know language policing yeah that's kind of pretty prevalent right now and and I have more issue with that because it's it's scrubbing conflict or it's kind of like this and this is an unpopular thing to say especially in the culture in which we live right now that bullying is terrible and bullying's yeah. a bad it's, it's a struggle it's listen yeah you grow up red haired. You know about bullying. You know, I. you either grow up tough or you grow up funny. And hopefully right. I got a little mix of both of them because right. of my redheadedness, right. me experiencing redheadedness. Right. So, and, you, and you were a Marine. It, well, I was. I was a Marine. That's weird that you... Jesse was a Marine, everybody. Shocker that you've picked that up from any, any episodes that we've done. Right. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, obviously bullying's bad, but do you think that... To some degree, some amount of bullying and struggle as a child, it's like a, a chick that pecks its way out of an egg. Mm. Without that struggle, and I'm not a biologist, but I've heard that without the struggle of chipping away at the, at the egg to get out, they don't have the strength to go on. It really helps them in their maturation and their development process. Well, I don't think you can avoid a lot of what goes on in that way. What I think kind of the, maybe the downside to uh, this lang policing language or what have you is that um, you, it stops conversations, right? Or, you know, when somebody says something, especially you guys are on the internet a lot, you see this, that, you know, we see a lot of shaming um, online right away when somebody says something incorrectly or something like that. And, and a lot of times you get these arguments that are completely missing the point and they shut down dialogue and, and they don't go anywhere. So I think um, rather than toughening you up, I think what, what, what would really happen is I think you can we're avoiding really productive dialogue, right? Yeah. I, 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 listen, I don't discount this out of hand. I think that there is something to it, but I think going crazy with it's like it's like with anything we do on the show and talk about on the show. It's 
the 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 extreme on the left is wacky as shit and not working. The extreme on the right, which is you know just throw the baby out there and see if it let it fend for itself. Both of those approaches, I think, are off base. Somewhere in the middle, finding middle ground is the, is where the truth is. That's see, where the sweet spot and is. And I felt like I was more middle ground on this issue. I want to address, though, your your tall person versus poor person analogy, which is ridiculous to me, and I didn't get to comment on it. So being tall isn't something that's negative in society. All right, all right let's say short. I've Being gotta, short isn't something that's negative in society. It's not. No, says the 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 five foot ten, wildly attractive blonde. Um, being five foot ten is difficult as a woman. Oh, okay. So that's your struggle. It's yeah. <laughs> Try being a five foot three, hundred and fifteen pound man. No, so I I understand that 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 is difficult, but I'm talking about like the societal difficulties surrounding being a poor person and the stigma attached to being a poor person. So when you see a homeless person on the street. I mean, people don't even want to look at them. People don't want to talk to them. But someone will talk to a short person. Someone experiencing homelessness. Someone who is housing deficient. Yes, sorry. They're not homeless. Yes, sorry. I slipped back into my old ways. We could could just transport ourselves back to the 70s or the 80s and just call them bums. Okay. Did I not make a good point, though? (laughs) So people are not going to speak to someone that they view as dirty, right? And people view someone experiencing poverty as dirty. But but a short man, they'll talk to a short man. Yeah. However, (laughs) you would agree with me on this point. I I hope, I think. Let's hear it. Being someone who did grow up poor, Mm -hmm. like me, Mm -hmm. it isn't the be all end all of your condition. It's it's not it's not like oh uh, yeah I'm an alcoholic I haven't drank in twenty years but I'm still an alcoholic. Did you know when you were a kid and you were poor oh, that it yeah. wasn't gonna oh. last forever? Um, you know I, yes I, I believed so because I've I grew up obviously wild poor still a wildly crazy Reagan conservative household mm-hmm. and believed <laughs> that America was that shining city on the hill and had political aspirations from a very young age. So yeah, I I believed I was going to do the pulling up of the bootstraps. Well, I as think a that's child. rare. Would you admit that's rare? I don't know. It was it's my only experience, so I, I don't know how rare it is. Plus you're treading into the privilege conversation now too, which will probably I believe this while on welfare, while no, no, I, getting the government yeah. cheese. Yeah, and I but I think it's like And I don't say that euphemistically. I've eaten the goddamn government cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, and it's not. Um, and I think these efforts aren't an attempt to discount your experience. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I'm not. I don't feel attacked. I can hold my own. <laughs> you know. I, I. It's just. I really do believe that if you go crazy, like even you said that, the, and we both agreed after the show <laughs> that the elder thing, the because being an elder of a tribe is that well, he's a man of honor. He's the shaman or whatever. You know. That's. That is, it's a it's a point of pride and honor in our culture. Elder, I still don't. Even when I read elder or elderly or even senior, I don't see that as oh, they're just talking shit on the people of advanced age. Or that was a bad one, wasn't it? Yeah, can I say this? I I like I, you know, right. It's a very complex and and you know, there's maybe they overreach in some cases, right? But. 
I think the, the challenge to us is that we um, wrestle with or we, you know, because we have the ability not to have to think about these things and we can, yeah. you know, we can, you know, do whatever we want to do because we're not affected by some of these terms, which other people are. Um, but what they're asking us to do is maybe be more reflective in our language and maybe wrestle with some of these things a little bit, maybe even be uncomfortable, which a lot of us are unwilling to do, right? Be uncomfortable um, in in our dialogue with other people and how we're to, in the language that we are to use. And maybe even we have to change our language, even after, uh, I'm an old, I'm an older person, right? <laughs> and even after like, and there's a lot of ways of ha of language that are changing, and that I have, and that I'm that I have to wrestle with because I've, you know, I've been socialized for so long. In yeah, a right. Way. Well, literally now, officially, can also mean figuratively. That's sure. I'm speaking literally. That's that's fact that they've changed the meaning like a bunch of idiots. Well, so there is an evolution that takes place even to sure. that extreme. Sure. So listen, I, I will contend that even here's my problem, and I think th that. There, there is a contingent out there that would agree with me. Obviously, there is. Unfortunately, I don't always like to align myself with them. That within academia, there is this weird knee-jerk, going crazy kind of thing where if it's, if it's uncomfortable, we can't have it. We're, 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 we're Brandis University, and we're going to re uh, revoke the invitation to Ion Hersi Ali because she says bad things about Islam, even though she has suffered female genital mutilation under the philosophy of that religion. And I, I'm going far afield here, but it is that trend in academia that I will probably always buck up against, even when what they're doing isn't necessarily super damaging, just a little wacky. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm never in favor of silencing anybody, right? It's just... Um... But I am I am in favor of challenging people to think about. I'm down with that. Yeah, yeah. Ways that they're talking, ways they're speaking, the effects of their language on other people that they've never had to consider. And I think something like this that the University of New Hampshire has put out is one of those things that you know maybe shines a light a little bit, but hopefully doesn't silence other voices at, at the same time too. Well, well said. How metered and great if, was that? If you <laughs> would also like to sound off about this topic, if you have a message for the the getting on and aged, the advanced aged Chris Hoff, who's not much more old than me. I'd prefer if you guys called me Elder. <laughs> <laughs> elder uh, Hoff. Do not hesitate to leave us a voicemail, 657-464-7609. If you are voicemail averse, send us an email with a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. If you're voicemail averse, here's another method by which to send us a voice message. That's what you just did. Yeah? <laughs> I but think yes, please send us a voice message. I'm someone who's struggling with stupidity, Brittany Page. <laughs> <laughs> so we also have Chris in the studio today to talk about his latest, greatest project amongst others. And that would be his brand new podcast, he just got the email today from iTunes because they love taking their sweet ass time. Yes, they do. <laughs> it's called The Radical Therapist, and it's it's everywhere fine podcasts are sold. It's on Stitcher. It's on iTunes. It's on Podbean. I think they have a whole thing going on, and it's a great show. 
why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah, it? Thank you, Jesse. Um, the Radical Therapist podcast got started just recently with the help of both Brittany and Jesse. So thank you, guys. <laughs> and um, it's going to be, um, I am a, a licensed therapist, so I'm interested in uh, talking about psychotherapy. But I'm also interested in talking about the intersections of art and science and technology and philosophy and, you know, because I think some of the more interesting conversations are happening in, happening in some of those domains and, uh, in, and they're very applicable to the practice of therapy. And so I, I'm just saying that because even if you're not interested in therapy, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Like our first episode's actually with an artist uh, based out of London who went on 80 dates with married men and yeah, docu- it was fascinating. Yeah, and documented the project. So I think you'll find that really fascinating. And, um, and she covers a lot of themes that we talk about in therapy too, like infidelity and betrayal and, and these kinds of things. And so um, I think you'll find it a really worthwhile conversations. Well, I can, because I've had a hand in, in, in the process and I've listened to that, that specific episode particularly. Um, it is interesting and it's going to be you're you're uh in rare space you're in rare air mm. for independent podcasting because you're hitting the ground with solid shit going on Brittany and I started episode 1 and it was you know it, it was embarrassing <laughs> yeah. we want we don't want people to go back and listen to it, it, it just in not... fact don't talk about it cuz you might give people the idea to do that <laughs> i was going to think I, I, was, I was just thinking i got to go do that there, no. there's a there's a turn of phrase i think it's a monkey fucking a football and it yeah you know i was that monkey <laughs> struggling with a football <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> so so anyway i definitely go out there by the time this posts tomorrow i really i think it's got to be searchable we will post a a link to it on the Facebook page. Thank you, guys. We'll put it on Twitter. Um, but go search iTunes, The Radical Therapist, and... Uh, search for it repeatedly until it comes up. That is what I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be stealing Brittany from you, Jesse. Sorry, because she's so good with the research stuff. Yeah, and, she, uh... <laughs> seriously. Well, here, here's the other thing about the show. and um, I have always thought that... Not always, but up until a few years ago, psychology, therapy, all these things were kind of humdrum. Even when we, let's put it this way, when we started the show, Brittany always wanted to bring data and statistics and research, and I wasn't so into it because, ah, the audience isn't going to be into that, and I learned very quickly through voicemails and emails and Twitter and voicemailing voicemails or whatever I just fucked up and said, uh, that the audience was very interested in that. And so once I relented because of audience pressure, which any smart podcaster, any smart broadcaster is going to do, I realized how goddamn fascinating all of that stuff is. That's why we have pew, 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 pew. We have drops for specific information that we provide so often from Pew Research from 538. Statistical analysis is something that has it's found a new place in my heart, and I think you're going to be tackling a lot of that, especially if you commandeer the lovely Brittany Page. For sure. So, all right. Well, let's. Uh, Chris is going to stick around a little while. We're going to do some 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 news stories. Uh, first up, Houston County, Alabama. <laughs> oh, Alabama. 
they are taking a page out of the the that county in Missouri, Stone County, Missouri, who had "In God We Trust" in quotes on the back of their cruisers. Except they're taking it a step further. Sheriff Donald Valenza bought new decals for the department's vehicles that say, quote, blessed are the peacemakers and, quote, Matthew 5.9. They cost $1.60 each, presumably came out of the department's budget and are only there to promote the sheriff's faith. This is different than the Stone County, Missouri case, which I don't even agree with in that case. This is different because this is a scripture out of the Christian Bible. You mm-hmm. can't even say it's Judeo-Christian because it's just strictly the New Testament. Matthew 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they hubba dubba da inherit the kingdom of heaven or something. You know, some, I, Would you look it up real quick? Yes. I thought it would be in the article, but... Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So something similar to what I said. It's the uh, New International Version. So here's the deal. Relative to the First Amendment and the separation of church and state, or the the establishment clause as it is, that is the county government, an entity of power within the government, establishing their choice of religion. I would say the same thing if they had a scripture from the Quran on the back of a goddamn squad car. It's unnecessary, and not only is it unnecessary, it's alienating for those citizens who have to abide by these officers' rule and authority, these cops who drive around in their cars with the Christian scripture on the back. Who, who may not be Christians. Absolutely. Who? You mean the cops or the citizens? No, the citizens. Absolutely. So one positive, though, is that they're placing emphasis on peacemakers. Yes. Yeah, well, we need some more of that in the police arena. Yeah. And in Alabama, which doesn't have the greatest history relative to race relations or, you know, hosing down crowds of blacks or sicking dogs on blacks. You know, it's it's Alabama. Come on. Come on, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> Come on to me. In uh, in another piece of follow-up, we have talked about a gentleman, and goddamn, that is a uh, that has given him a lot of credit. And Jim Chowdery, one of my favorites on the show, is a radical Islamist out of the United Kingdom who we have covered on the show, I want to say five or six different times over the course of the last year. You'll remember... And Jim Chowdhury saying this. As Muslims, the East and the West would one day be governed by the Sharia. Indeed, we believe that one day the flag of Islam will fly over the White House. And he also had this little interaction with Brian Stetzer on reliable sources on CNN. You talk about wanting the truth to prevail, but here's what bothers me. When we were setting up for our interview here, the audio engineer asked you to do what every guest does, to count to 10, check the mic. And you started to do that, but then you said 9-11, 7-7, Is this all some sort of a joke uh, to, to do that? Well, you know, if you had a sense of humor, maybe you would have laughed. Uh, it was just a sound check, you know, and you shouldn't take any of these things that seriously. Obviously, you know, I'm not a saying sense to of humor? carry out an operation. A yeah. sense of humor. We were setting, we were setting up the sound check. And I said, one, two, three, four, five, nine, eleven, seven, seven, making sure that you can hear me. 
it's not a big issue, it's not a big deal. If you want to make it a big deal, by all means do so, but it means it makes you look much more shallow, really, than me. <laughs> I have nothing more to say, but thank you for joining me. You're always welcome. You're always welcome, says the guy who just made a joke about the death, the brutal death of over 3,000 people in this world, whether it be the 9-11 attack or those other attacks in the in in uh, in the European theater of their jihad. Well, you just don't have a sense of humor. Yeah, I, apparently I don't <laughs> have uh, this that nuanced a sense of humor. Well, he, good news is for the audience and for the world, and especially for Great Britain, he has been charged with inviting support for ISIS. He chose to represent himself. <laughs> And spoke for 20 minutes as he outlined his indication to plead not guilty, waving around notes relating to his case. He appeared alongside another man who is also being charged with inviting support for ISIL over the same dates. The case has been sent to the Central Criminal Court, and the specific charge relates to Section 12 of the Terrorism Act 2000. It says that a person commits an offense if they invite, quote, support for a prescribed organization and the support is not or is not restricted to the provision of money or other property. If the person that's facing that charge is convicted, they can face up to 10 years in jail. It would be nice to see him taken out of commission relative to his recruitment and indoctrination of young, disaffected, uh, uh, young Muslim men who feel disenfranchised and not a part of the society at whole, which he is promulgating on a daily basis. So it's good news, and it's also good news that he's represented himself because what's the old adage? Only a fool represents himself, or you know, it's probably more eloquent than that, but it's something like that, and this guy just likes to talk. And he will dig his grave one stupid word at a time. Well, he always talks about how he hates democracy and he hates freedom and he hates these things. But the only reason that he's able to do what he does is because those systems exist and allow him to talk and allow him to say what he wants to say. Yeah, right? appa apparently he doesn't get the uh, the irony there. Well, or the he, conflict in what he believes. He tweeted this on July twenty sixth. Under Sharia, no one can propagate falsehood openly. And he gave some examples. Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism, democracy, freedom, human rights, atheism. Yeah. I, I retweeted this tweet today. And this is from Anjan Chowdhury. This is from his account. It says, a Muslim always prefers Sharia over democracy, submission over freedom, Khalifa over secularism, jihad over oppression, and Allah over Cameron, a reference to the, the British prime minister. Mm -hmm. So he's... Uh, he's a fascinating character. We'll give him that. To, to put it in an intellectual scope, he's fucked. <laughs> he's seen better days. All right. We're going to move on to our last piece of follow-up. And this is a topic that we have not talked about on the show um, amidst lots of pressure from lots of listeners and lots of phone calls from lots of friends that why are you not addressing the world-changing issue, the sensitive topic, the terrible death of Cecil the Lion. I, I speak half in jest. And half very serious because 
It is a heart-wrenching topic. It is a serious matter. There is there are there are large issues at stake here that need to be addressed. They need to be talked about. However, it's not as cut and dry as it seems. I think that the outrage, the crazed, maniacal nature of retribution against the guy who shot this lion is wacky and way out of line. So Vox wrote an article. They say, when an American dentist named Walter Palmer killed a beloved lion named Cecil, the social media platforms that allowed outraged web users to spread the story also enabled them to do more than just fume. It gave them the power to act on their anger, to reach into Palmer's life and punish him for what he had done without having to wait for the wheels of more formal justice to turn. Web users uncovered Palmer's personal information, including about his family, and published it online. They went after his business, a private dental practice, posting thousands of negative reviews on Yelp and other sites. The practice has since shut down. Users also went after professional websites that host his profile, leading the sites to remove his information. On Twitter and on his practice's public Facebook page, people made threats of physical violence. So this impacted not only Walter Palmer, who did this to Cecil the Lion. That's right. But it also impacted his family. He now lost his private dental practice, so he you know, can't support his family. And it, the report just came out today that his vacation home in Florida was vandalized. And there was a trail of pig's feet covered in red substance all over the driveway. And someone spray painted Lion Killer on the driveway. Now, it's not just his home. It's his family's home, right? So his family's also being affected by this. And then also, since the private practice had to shut down, everyone that he employed in that office is now out of a job. It's not a mom and pop, you know, liquor store. It's not a mom and pop laundry. It's a dental practice with professionals, people who aren't related to him, who lost their jobs. They very possibly lost their only source of income. And that is, that's the result because he killed a lion. He did something that is done every day in Africa. In fact, there is an entire, a whole other frame of reference for this that, that is not being talked about. That these people who are completely outraged and losing their minds because this lion, the terror, listen, let me preface what I'm getting ready to say by saying this. I'm scared. I don't understand trophy hunting. I grew up hunting. I've I've killed animals. I've killed deer. I've killed elk. I've, I've hunted. Never for sport. Everything I've ever killed, I've eaten. So I don't have a problem with hunting if you're going to eat. But if you're just killing it because you like to cut its head off and put it on your wall, eh, that's weird to me. Trophy hunting is weird. I do understand that we are upper paleolithic hunter gatherers evolutionarily and that there there might still be something lingering in us to to want to stand over your prey and you know we just we're cavemen with cameras so we can document our kill however it's weird well it's what it is i mean it's that's a true thing it is what it is it's weird well it, I, i'm agreeing with you i think <laughs> it's weird i know people from my home who live in how in houses that are that are covered with deer heads and moose heads and I know dudes who have gone on safari and killed these same animals we're talking about and they still have a livelihood 
They still have a home. They still have jobs and family. They don't have to go into hiding for fear of maniacs killing them or threatening their family with death and harm. So having said that, the safari community or the safari business in Zimbabwe and in many African countries is is an economical it, it's an economic driver and all of these people who are screaming and yelling from the rafters and wanting death threats and wishing harm on this guy they're doing nothing this guy pumped in at least that we know of $55,000 into the economy of Zimbabwe which isn't a developing nation it is it's relying on tourism it's relying on this type of activity to stay alive then there's another aspect of this which is game management that introducing these hunters and doing it in a systematic way is actually healthy for the ecosystem I don't know how true that is in fact I would question the validity of that position but there is another side to this where it gets murky is that they lured this lion with a GPS tracker outside of the game reserve to kill it. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds very bad for Walter Palmer. It doesn't sound good. However, he's going to face justice. The there is a there's a, a a white guy that I saw interviewed today. He sounded South African. You know, that South Africa, Australia accent's kind of a... I'm never sure which is which. The more hickish one, I always think, is the South Africa one. Uh, no one's... Everyone's looking at me like, I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> is anyone even here still? Well, he's facing, he's facing the justice system there, too. And he sounded a little shady. Like, when he said, so you, you think all your permits held up, they're going to hold up in court, it's going to be good. And he paused... He did the evasive kind of, uh, I believe so, is what he said. But in his goofy, you know, hick South African accent. So. All right. Well, Brittany. You are not following the bias-free language guide. <laughs> he said, yeah, I think they're great. I can't do it. That I'm is no like, good. What was that? <laughs> that was, I don't even know. Hey, Chris, if you're going to laugh, get in the mic. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so. So here's my thing. This is terrible, but does he deserve to have his l entire life and livelihood and the, the livelihood of his family? What, what if this guy can't afford to send his kids to college and their lives are affected by this? It's, it's an overblown reaction. Everybody needs to go and pick up John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, and read about it. The ramifications of this is it's wide. It's, it's, it's more than just shaming a guy and talking shit about him on the internet yeah and i think that's what's so scary is this whole mob justice mentality that happens on the internet where someone like justine Seiko is that how you say her yeah, name justine sacco yeah think, and yeah. she tweeted you know a racist joke a vaguely racist joke but I, it was a joke i don't even think it was racist i think she was shining a light on well she was but people interpret it as yeah. as racist right and she ended up you know what she said she was flying into the aforementioned south africa and she said i'm flying yeah. to africa i i hope i don't get aids oh just kidding i'm white i won't get aids which she meant 
it's I mean it's a it's a poorly constructed. She's not a comic, so she should probably leave that to the the more uh, Amy Schumer's of the yeah, world. She she's she's experiencing lack of funny. If, if to put it in your parlance, you guys. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? I'm being bullied right now. So. But her life was complete. By the time the fl- the flight landed, because she tweeted it, got on the plane, and then flew with no internet, and it's a long international flight. Yeah. She landed and she was fired. Yeah, I was I was on Twitter when all that was. Oh going yeah, down. yeah. She hadn't landed yet, and it, it was kind of captivating at the time. Yeah, but... there was a hashtag. Has she landed yet yeah, or something? Right, yeah, and right. she she got there, and her family knew about it. Like they had been following the tag. Yeah. And they Bad were very news. upset yeah. and she got in a lot of trouble. But uh, there was a column that John Ronson wrote about this that went along with his book. So you've been publicly shamed. And he talked about several instances of, you know, there was a guy in a corporate meeting at his job and he made a joke about like computers having dongs or something. Okay. Some stupid joke that doesn't even make sense. And a woman in front of him heard it and was offended yeah. by they, that they were like at a conference in like right. some some hotel best western in some conference room and she was in the seat in front of him and he whispered to his buddy like she said right and she turned around and took a picture of them put it on the internet and said something about us uh, sexist men at work that i have to deal with all the time he got fired he talks about how he went to his car after he got fired and was cleaning out his desk and just like called his wife and was distraught he had three kids he didn't know what he was going to do and over this joke that he made about computer dongs or something. I don't even know what it was. Right. You know? Not funny, but also not really offensive. <laughs> Definite, definitely not funny. I think maybe the lesson here is to tone it down on the jokes. Right. Yeah, well. The attempts at the jokes. But but in the case of Walter Palmer and this Cecil thing, look, it's, it's super sad. I mean, if this was a beloved lion, and then you've got all these... these nutters coming out of the woodwork like this Idaho huntress she's being labeled on Facebook and she comes out with a picture of of the dead giraffe that she killed and then she tries to justify it by saying that <laughs> giraffes are dangerous creatures I, what are you what are you doing it's, just just shut your mouth you're the one traveling to where the dangerous giraffes are right, just it's not like leave you're walking, them alone it's not like you're walking to the mailbox and you get trampled by some rogue herd of giraffe <laughs> you shut your mouth you you went there to kill that animal and you're here's the other thing about this trophy hunting bullshit that bothers me i i, I wasn't going to do this but here we go. It's these these weak... Listen, if you're going to hunt and you're going to be that caveman who's going to stand over his kill, then be a caveman who kills it honorably, who stands over his kill. Don't have two locals lure the lion out with some dead animal dragging behind a jeep and then you, from the safety... Of, of, a, of a, a vehicle, you shoot the lion from long range with your high-powered rifle. That's pussy shit. This is... It's cowardice, is what it is. And again, like I said, I don't understand trophy hunting. There is no bias-free language to be found here. <laughs> no. Um, what is she going to do with that giraffe? I mean, is that going to be... I, I guess cut its head off and leave it there like they did. Usually what, I, what I've heard... From the many emails and the many calls and the many messages we've gotten is 
the fact that what they normally do when they do a safari hunt is they kill it, they take what they're going to take for trophy purposes, idiots, and then they give the meat to the locals. And that wasn't done here. Oh, well, that was... Oh. Well, no, it wasn't done here. They, I was going to say, oh, I that's nice. It sounds like what happened is they freaked out when they saw, oh, shit, GPS tracker. Oh, right. They tried to destroy the GPS tracker. And then when they, they thought they did, they didn't. Then they, they peaced out. Right. Mm. Peaced out. Mm-hmm. So, so we didn't cover this because I didn't want to contribute to the, the mob mentality. What do you think, Chris? Well, I think you... You make a very reasonable argument, but uh, well, I, I thank you <laughs> for the first time in the history of the show. Yeah, because you stepped into complexity, like I was kind of referencing earlier, and um, and it is very, it is a very difficult situation, and I, I as well can't get my head around the whole. I don't own a gun. I'm not. I've never hunted. I've never killed anything, and nor do I have a desire to. Um, but I don't want. I understand how families grow up hunting and it brings them together and they they do these kinds of things and and well, it also provides yes and sustenance I, I don't begrudge the them yeah. that either the trophy hunting thing i agree with you i just can't wrap my head around how that appeals to anybody i think i think if you want a really reasonable to I, I don't know if you guys read omnivore's dilemma uh i have a, not it's a really great book where he actually goes out he's never hunted before and he goes out and hunts his own meal hmm. uh, huh. and he does a nice and he's i think he's a vegetarian when before he started this project <laughs> but he gives a nice um kind of really it's a great chapter when he goes and does that and all the complexities involved and um but i just think um the internet's not a place for like i said it's it, it it does not like complexity like you were talking about, right. and it's problematic. Well, nuance is not the friend of the lower thinker. No. And that's kind of what's going on. And what I did want to say, but with Walter Palmer, when I heard there were death threats being made, then that's really problematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. valuing the life of, of an animal over the life of a human, even a bad human. You know, no. he's not a serial killer. He killed a lion. Let's Let's put it in perspective, and that might sound callous. But it's a lion. I've got a buddy on Facebook, and I'm I haven't approached him yet, and I hope he'll come on. I th- I think he will. We have a assorted history, but uh, it's a buddy from Boise who is a I, I don't want to say militant vegan, but he is a he is a devotee of veganism, and he knows all about it. And he's for years. I mean, he's a he's a strict vegan. He's not one of those. Yeah, I'm a vegan. Every once in a while, I have a hot dog. He's not one of those guys. <laughs> he hasn't ha- probably had a glass of milk since he. Took it from the tit. I mean, he's he's a vegan. And he put on Facebook, he said, fuck off about the lion, comma, hypocrites. And what he means is, listen, if you eat chicken, you're contributing to the systematic torture <laughs> and, and horrible conditions that chickens live within. And I eat chicken, and I love chicken, and I put that out of my mind. And I laugh, and I laugh at that because... You're 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 making an argument people don't want to consider, and that's the the point he's making. I agree with, but I'm able to I'm able to compartmentalize a little bit because well, everyone is. Look, I'm a human, and I, look, pigs are smarter than dogs, and I love me some barbecue, so I'm going to eat pork, and I do eat pork, and I'll continue to eat pork because we are just another species on this earth. Look, was Cecil the lion immoral for eating the zebra? No. He, that's what he does, and that's what we do. So I'm not going to get into the argument about veganism. However, these people are talking about who are outraged about Cecil are 
eh, you know, they need to check their their entire the 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 the, the inter, intermingling and the weaving of their their morality and their sense of outrage a little bit because that lion lived a good life out on the range and there are billions of chickens who are living terrible torturous existences until their t- untimely demise and our devouring them as delicious chicken shall we move on yes <laughs> so last time we we ran what it is now our new patreon commercial that has the 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 woman with the beautiful british accent and Brittany stopped me mid-roll and said, hey, we should have Kathy, listener Kathy, Patreon patron, supporter of the show Kathy with this sexy voice. We should have her read it. Well, she it, needs to be one of those love DJs. Absolutely. She does. Like at midnight, you know, <laughs> you coming home from work and I can't Here, do it. Let me play you some music. Yeah, while you I'm do curious. It. No, I'm going to play some music while she does it. Ready? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, you coming home from work, baby. <laughs> I got some tunes for you. <laughs> this is the quiet storm. Yeah. Yippee-beer. Quiet storm. So I don't know. Fuck. What am I? So anyway, Kathy heard and responded in beautiful fashion. Here is maybe not our new Patreon commercial, but it is certainly one that we will alternate in because it is awesome. Support for I Doubt It with Dalamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like. Comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward, one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dalamore. That is awesome. And that's just probably her standing in a bathroom on her iPhone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I had her in studio here and put a little effects on her voice, it would be boner time. Wow. Not for me, but you know, for a lot of others out there, it'd probably be boner time. I think that Kathy feels violated. You right think now. so? Yeah. Kathy, let us know. 657-464-7609. That is what you do. Creeper. You obviously know the email address to send us a voice memo from your smartphone. So I guess we'll we'll just wait for your offense to be registered. <laughs> Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Things are heating up all across America. These candidates are scrambling for their time in the media. They are scrambling for their time in the spotlight, even if it means putting themselves at risk, facing questions that are hard for them to answer. In other news... (laughs) Ben Carson was faced with a question that should have been. Look, I hesitate to continue because it should have been the proverbial no brainer. And he was stymied. All right. I'm going to close here with a question from a Facebook uh, poster. And this one came from Victor Rausch. Simple question. Does the Bible have authority over the Constitution? He said that's a simple question. That I know. is not a simple well, question by any simple, stretch of the imagination. A, a simply <laughs> worded question. How's that? 
I, I think probably what you have to do is... Uh... Before he answers, let me, let me answer for him. Let me show you, let me demonstrate to our loyal, loving, listening audience just how simple that question is to answer. Okay. So you want to ask me? You could paraphrase. Um, yeah. Does the Bible have authority over the Constitution? No. Okay. Yep. All See right. that? That's easy. Okay. That is, that is the answer. There is no equivocation. Here's the great thing about our system of government. And here's the great thing about the United States of America. And that might be nationalist, and some of you might be offended that I love my country. Eh, I'm okay with that. Here's the deal. Our deist founding fathers, James Madison in particular, the father of our Constitution, my middle name happens to be Madison, named after James Madison, the author, the founder, who wrote our Constitution. Now everyone knows too much personal information. Like, it's not out there anyway. <laughs> like I, I, My life is an open book on Google. Don't Google me. Is There's no mention of God in the Constitution. The word God does not appear in the Constitution. It doesn't. It does appear in the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. And it was a debate, a fiery debate that was had between John Adams, Benjamin Franklin... And Thomas Jefferson, who wrote, who penned the Declaration of Independence. There mm -hmm. was talk. He didn't want it in there. It wasn't in there to begin with. And they ended up putting it in through several drafts. So so Ben Carson explains all this in his answer. He must. I, I think probably what you have to do is... Uh, ask a very specific question about a specific passage of the Bible and a specific portion of the Constitution, uh, I don't think you can answer that question other than out of very specific context. All right. I will leave that answer there. We'll see if Mr. Roush uh, likes that answer or not. Dr. Carson, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck in the debate and stay safe on the trail, sir. Thank you so much. Oddly enough, Ben Carson had a different answer than I had. So here is something that someone wrote on Facebook. Their name is Michael Taylor. They said, here's an easy way to phrase it, Ben. Quote, as a, <laughs> as a Christian, I consult the Bible frequently for advice in my personal life. But as president, I would represent people of all faiths and even those of no faith at all. So my first loyalty would be to the Constitution. That is a, be that's a beautiful answer. Was that on Facebook? Yes. Is this person running for president? Because... Yeah. That guy needs to get in the mix. <laughs> The debate's tomorrow. Can he fly in? Or? And it's not, listen, it's not even an indictment of the Bible or the tenets of his faith. It's just we live in a secular world under a secular government. Democracy is not a biblical principle. It's just not. Jesus, if anything, if you're going to label the guy, was more of a socialist. He was, you know, give everything you have to the poor and follow me. And that's that's a paraphrase. That's what he said. When the rich man appeared before him and said, I want it, I love you, I want to follow you, he said, great, jump on board, buddy. Sell everything you have, rich guy. When the person of wealth. Yeah, the person who's experiencing lots of money. When they, he said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then follow me. Not, eh, you know, while you're following me, you can start giving that shit away. <laughs> sell it, give it to the poor, then 
follow me. Jesus wasn't a Republican. I hate to break it to you. He was not. Jesus was more of a Bernie Sanders kind of guy. Jesus makes Bernie Sanders look like Ronald Reagan. So stick that in your pipe, guy. <laughs> no? I, that, that the phrase didn't sound natural coming out of your mouth. Really? But yeah, you were really struggling with it. Well, I was talking about Craig. He has a pipe in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I don't get it. I mean, Ben Carson is, he's out of his depth. Look, he's a smart guy. He's a neurosurgeon. He's clearly got a, a deep brain pan, but goddamn. <laughs> no good. All right, moving on. Scott Walker, on the other hand, the only non-college graduate running for president of the United States, third in the polls, Scott Walker was asked recently on a panel about the faith of our current sitting president, and he vacillated like the weasel he is. Is President Obama a Christian? <laughs> You're not going to get the different answers than I said before. I said, I, I don't know. I presume he is by his comments in the past. But I've never asked him about that. And as someone who's a believer myself, I don't presume to know someone's uh, beliefs uh, about uh, whether they follow Christ or not, unless I've actually talked with them and understand that. But he said he has, so I'll take his, his word. It sounds like he's going to take his word when his initial reaction is a laugh. Right. Ha! Well, he, here's the deal is he traffics in the business of of the Tea Party and these birthers and these people who don't believe... They believe that Obama is a secret Muslim, which is... He's a smoker. He's a drinker. He's pro-life. He's helping out Israel every chance he gets. He's he's the worst Muslim on the history in the history of Islam if he's a Muslim. But here's... There's two things I want to talk about. One is, if if, if that reporter had asked the question... Of Scott Walker, do you think Pat Robertson is a Christian? What do you think he would have answered? Do you think he would have said, ha, "You know, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to talk to Pat Robertson. I don't know exactly what his thoughts are about <laughs> salvation, and you know, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure about Pat Robertson's Christianity. I'd have to talk to him. No, he would not do that. He would say, "Oh, absolutely." Yeah, well, here's the thing. Maybe uh, Scott Walker is catering to nearly half of Americans who say they are uncertain about Obama's faith. And many, especially conservative Republicans, believe he's a Muslim. A 2012 Pew poll showed just 55% of Americans correctly identified Obama as a Christian. Americans are so dumb. <laughs> Another 17% overall and 34% of conservative Republicans believed he was an adherent of Islam. Uh, well... This this might be news to them. And it was through that experience working with pastors and lay people trying to heal the wounds of hurting neighborhoods uh, that I came to know Jesus Christ for myself and embrace him as my Lord and Savior. Kind of sounds like a, a, a brother of NGM Chowdhury to me, mm -hmm. doesn't he? He sounds like a Muslim. That, that's Muslim talk, right? That Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Well, I mean, I'm going to have to have a, a personal conversation with Barack Obama <laughs> to know. I can't just, I can't hear that and know. Right, so. right. Or this. I believe uh, in that, that, that Jesus Christ died for my sins and, mm -hmm. and that I am redeemed uh, through him. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that is a source of strength and sustenance uh, on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, I know that I don't walk alone. Yeah. Uh, and I know that if I can get myself out of the way mm -hmm. that uh, you know uh, I, I can maybe carry out in some small way uh, what uh, what he intends by the way during that clip when he's talking about how much of a Muslim he is he's sitting with mega church super church pastor Rick Warren who lives not 10 miles from where we sit right now so <laughs> Obama clearly is admitting his allegiance to Allah and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Mm -hmm. Is he not? Well, Scott Walker needs to take note. Well, here's here's the clincher is I have I have found while scouring the Internet deep in the Internet where normal people don't have access. I found Obama singing a classic ancient hymn in Islam. Amazing. <laughs> How sweet the sound that saved Sound sounded real Muslim. Is he on is he on key? Is that the no. phrase? <laughs> he's off and on. It's he's trying to find it. Clearly, Obama is a Christian. President Barack Obama may have been raised by a Muslim father for a brief period of time during his early, early life, but as, an, as a man, as a, as a child, it, it, like at the age of reason when you can decide for yourself, he decided Islam wasn't for him. It wasn't quite the flavor that he liked. He liked the flavor of Christianity. So for Scott Walker to pander, clearly pandering to that element of his party is disgraceful. And I don't see this non-college graduate making it on to end up being the president of the United States and the most powerful man in the world. In other Dalamocracy news, the debate is tomorrow and Brittany Page could not be more excited. I'm very excited. So now we finally have the official 10 people that will be in the debate. So Donald Trump is going to be right in the middle because he is uh, pulling the highest. I think the last poll I saw, he was around 25%. There's got to be some kind of book of revelation, apocalyptic type of prophecy that is coming to, to pass with Donald Trump being center stage at a GOP primary debate. Right, so it's going to be Donald Trump, Jeb Bush, Mike Huckabee, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, John Kasich, Scott Walker, Ben Carson, Marco Rubio, and Chris Christie. Those are the ones who made it in. So Rick Santorum, no. Rick Perry, <laughs> no. Carly right. Fiorina, no. Gilmore, don't even know his first name. Is it Jim? I don't know. Not in. Um, 
So Brittany Page, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Fox News will be hosting it. And we're pretty excited. It's tomorrow. So tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, nine Eastern, six Central. We are gonna try to do I keep we keep talking about this, and I don't know exactly what we're gonna do, but I'm we're gonna try to do something, whether it be a bonus episode or maybe it'll be uh Sunday's or Monday's episode. We will see. No promises. We'll see. All right. Well, as always, we like to end the show putting a smile on your face. And <laughs> we've got two stories here because I'm not sure which of you would be happy with the first story. <laughs> because our audience is largely dirty, filthy liberals. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that's true? That is not bias-free language <laughs> again. So you could do better that'd be great i i'll try so george w bush got jury duty is this not insane it's very strange he was summoned to jury duty and what do you think that that filthy warmonger did this power hungry <laughs> asshole what do you think he did Brittany? did he just write into the judge and say fo i'm the former president of the united states the most powerful man on the planet I'm responsible for hundreds of thousands of death over my, the course of my my warmongering days. You think he did that or you think he showed up? Well, I'm looking at him taking pictures with other people <laughs> with a juror badge on his shirt. So Listen, I, I, it's tongue in cheek. I voted for George W. Bush twice. The second time I regret, the first time I do not regret because Al Gore was woefully unprepared for the events that happened on 9-11. We're not going to go there. Also, the Patriot Act. Seems like Act, we just did. Also, the Patriot Act was a terrible miscarriage of justice. Uh, a ter- ter- just fucking terrible. So, all that notwithstanding, because we're not going to get off on a tangent here. This is supposed to be uplifting. It's uplifting. Here is an interview the Dallas Morning News did with an interpreter who happened to be in the court during this time just to kind of get her take on what went down. Hi, I'm uh, here interpreting for a court, and uh, I saw President. Uh, George W. Bush here this morning. It was really exciting, and I got my picture taken with him. He was on the in the jury pool, which was a surprise to all of us. And uh, he was very, very friendly, and he let uh, the whole jury panel take pictures with him, and he was all smiles and real down to earth. I was, I was very impressed that uh, when he was summoned to jury duty, that that he showed up. I just thought that set a wonderful example to the the rest of the people in Dallas County. I agree with that. So another juror said, I turned around and he was seated right behind me. And I said, I think I know that guy. Then the, <laughs> then the judge introduced him and said it was an honor to have the former president of the United States in the court. It's it's bizarre, right? Yes, it's very strange. Listen, say what you will about George W. Bush. And if you hate George W. Bush and you think he's the goddamn devil, you need to check yourself relative to the hyperbole with which you operate in your in your everyday life. George W. Bush is just a guy. He's got some wacky beliefs. He thinks he had the bat phone to Jesus, and that's why the Iraq War started, or whatever. But I think he's a loving guy who just, he's askew. You know what I mean? I think he's got some bad politics. I think he he understands the world through a different lens because he drew grew up in this dynastic kind of a family, and this... He has the ultimate white privilege. And listen, for Jesse Dollimore, on I Doubt It with Dollimore to say the word <laughs> white privilege 
it gives Chris Hoff much, much joy. <laughs> a thumbs up, but, I saw. But he's a good guy. I think he's. A, I think he's a good guy. He's he's affable. He's funny. He's humorous. He, I think he. You he want ha- him to be your best friend. Seriously. I wish he would adopt me. It would be so wonderful. Well, one, because of the immense wealth. Yes, that yes, that is the plus. So anyway, I just think it's really cool that a president showed up for, or a former president showed up for jury duty. Yeah. it's. You know how many years I've been registered to vote? I don't. Yeah, I don't either. A lot of years. <laughs> um, you know how many times I've been summoned for jury duty? Zero. One time. When I first moved to California from Boise... I got my mail forwarded to me from Boise saying, hey, fucker, it's time for jury duty. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you just missed me. (laughs) (laughs) I had the opposite situation. The first time I got one was right when I moved to California and I got it. And I I did something that said it would put a financial hardship on me or something. I couldn't get out of school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Student. Yeah. Student deferment. Yeah. You and Donald Trump have a lot in common. That's good. All right. Leaving you on a good note. We're going to wrap it up with this. Taking care of biz. So I, I thought you were going to jump in here because you want to get rid of my segment. No, uh, <laughs> I didn't say I want to get rid of the segment. I'm saying I think we might need a refresh. I'd like to I'd like to update what we do mm-hmm. with some of our segments. Like we have the asshole of the day. It's the asshole of today. And of course, we have Florida Files, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to play the whole way through. And, you know, I, I just, I think taking care of biz, I'd like to reach out to the audience and do a little crowdsourcing relative to ideas, re- relative to... to Getting rid of my segment. To getting rid of your goddamn segment. Listen, you can voice over the new segment. Mm-hmm. Taking care of biz is, we could still call it taking care of biz... But we can just reformat the segment a little bit. Okay, we get it. So let's move on. So everyone knows wow. he- humans of New York, right? Every, apparently, you just said it. So yes, everybody knows. Okay, a lot of people know about humans of New York. It's a popular Facebook page, and I think it was turned into a book. It's a photographer who walks the streets of New York and takes pictures of people, gets a story from them, types it into the photo caption uploads the photo to facebook and a lot of times it's heartwarming story recently there was a story about a kid who was struggling that he you know like a 15 year old boy and he was struggling that he was gay and he was worried about people judging him and they're heartwarming oftentimes and you know very thought-provoking right so there's a humans of dublin i had no idea yeah and there was a very popular post on the Humans of Dublin page that is getting a lot of attention. So I thought I would read it. And hopefully I do it without crying because I can't read it in my head without crying. So I don't know what's going to happen when I try to read it out loud. And we have talked about this previous. Shockingly, some things we talk about before we go live on the air and uh, or live on tape for the air. Uh-huh. And uh, I have it in front of me just in case you start cracking up. Like an emotional weirdo. Okay. Or uh, someone, a weirdo who struggles with emotionality. <laughs> yeah. That's better. No, listen, I, I, listen, I, I've, I really, I did push Brittany to read this because 
I've cried on this show. I have I have broken oh, the Brittany Maynard thing. I can't even talk about the Brittany Maynard thing without getting emotional again. I have cried about assisted suicide. It, it, I want this to be real. I want this to be raw. I want this show to be honest. And for you to not want to <laughs> read it because you'll cry, what does that say about the show or the tome that we're trying to create here? I'm ruining everything. You're ruining everything. I'm sorry. All right. So, uh, Humans of Dublin. Yeah. Go ahead, Brittany. Okay. So, it's a picture of a, a young boy. I don't know how old he is. He looks probably... Uh, 15 or 16. Yeah, I was going to say maybe 18. So, this is what the caption was. This is the story he told the photographer. I was on my way to the American sweet shop to buy some Gatorade when I saw this guy in his 30s sitting on the ledge of the bridge. I just thought, quote, wow. I stopped and I asked him if he was okay, but I knew from the look in his eyes he wasn't, and he didn't say anything either, but I saw tears coming from his eyes. I pleaded with him for a while to come down and sit on the steps, and eventually he did. We sat on the sidewalk on the south side of the Liffey and talked for about 45 minutes about what was happening to him, why he was feeling that way. I couldn't leave him there alone, but I had to go, so I was going to ring an ambulance. I told him they could help him feel better, but he was like, quote, please, please don't call them. I'm fine. I just want to walk around for a while. I'm going to be okay. I told him to please let me ring an ambulance that I wouldn't sleep knowing he was just walking around alone. So I rang it and he was taken to St. James Hospital. I got his number so I would know what was going on with him for a good while. And about three months ago, he texted me that his wife is pregnant. They're having a boy and they're naming him after me. Can you believe that? They're going to name their child after me. He said in that moment that I approached him, he was just about to jump and those few words saved his life. That they're still ringing in his head every day. Are you okay? I can't really understand how these few words could save his life, but he told me, imagine if nobody ever asked you those words. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I cried, everybody. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have been able to get through that. There's no way. It's That's... pretty powerful. It's a very powerful story. It's, and that's one of the things that I love about Humans of New York and now Humans of Dublin. I don't know how many cities there are that do this, but it just shines a light on the fact that everyone has a powerful story to tell and something that has impacted them and well, something that they can share with other people that will relate and create this connection between so many people. I think that it also really tells a story relative to the power of, of the individual and that Going through your life, you're going to have moments where you... I'm really fucked up right now. Um, <clears throat> well, you're going to have moments where you have the ability to really uh, affect someone's life. And you never know. Those moments in traffic where you're pissed off, someone cut you off, you don't know what's going on. Those moments at the grocery store where someone's in a hurry and they get in, cut in front of you or whatever, you don't know. Everybody's living their own life with their own experiences, their own struggles, their own trauma, their own deal. And I think <clears throat> defaulting to a position of kindness... Especially to people experiencing poverty. 
that's the way to do it. That's the way to get me out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just and look, I'm a guy. I'm a character who who is. I I don't know if it's just my persona on the show, pissed off guy, but you know, I'm I I get fired up. I'm a guy. I'm a I'm a I'm a firebrand. I'm a I'm a fiery guy. I'm an emotional guy. I'm Which a pa- makes sense because you're a, a ginger. I'm a passionate man. Yes, Page. you are. And uh, I get carried away. And I would hope, I really hope that I would get carried away in a manner that would uh, exemplify that type of behavior. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is like the heaviest it's ever gotten in here. It's because we have a therapist guest. Well, I hope we <laughs> left you in a good mood. I'm, I'm tears streaming down my goddamn stupid freckly face. Why don't you sign us off, Chris? <laughs> we will be having a little group therapy immediately <laughs> following. <laughs> this Seriously, episode. no. Listen, uh, this is this is what I want for this show. This is what I want for this project that we've created. This thing that that you, Brittany Page, me, and this audience that we share together. This is a beautiful thing. This is all about moving the conversation forward. We don't always have to agree, and we likely never will always agree, and that is okay. It's absolutely okay, because having the conversation is the important part. Sorting out the details that you don't always agree on, whether it be Cecil the Lion or George W. Bush on jury duty, it's okay. You're beautiful people. I try to be a beautiful person. You know, yeah. I, I wanted to say, you know, I've, I've kept pretty quiet through the show, and it's been fun to watch you too. But I just wanted to say, uh, you practice what you preach because I know some of these ideas that I brought to the room today, uh, you don't particularly <laughs> agree with. But you actually did say white privilege today, so that's pretty- yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I, I, I didn't just say it; I acknowledged that you, it exists. You did acknowledge yeah. that it exists, so this is powerful. But I mean, this is really excites me because it is this idea that even though we might not agree on all the topics that we can have this kind of conversation and you gave me the space to have this kind of conversation and i want to applaud you both for that well i uh i i appreciate that i do no listen this is this project didn't we didn't go into this lightly and we're going long so we're going to end this but um i am passionate about this show and not from an entertainment standpoint, not from what we can gain kind of a standpoint. I'm passionate about this show because I truly believe, and getting misty again, we can make a difference with the conversation, with the topics that we address. And, you know, I get angry and pissed off. These assholes like Anjim Chowdhury. There's no way to justify that kind of guy. But in politics, it doesn't have to divide people. There could be a division in ideas, but it shouldn't divide people. And that's I'm we're gonna leave it there. Amen. Look, amen. Can you say that on the this show? Yeah. You can. You can. <laughs> amen, I believe, means so be it. Okay. Yeah. So so be it, Chris. So be it. Listen, we love you. We appreciate you. I will abbreviate the plug for Amazon. Go to dollamar.com. There's the subada and da ba da da. We love you. We appreciate you for listening twice a week or as often as you do. You mean the world to us. Without you, this would not exist, and I mean it. It wouldn't, because if we didn't have listeners, there's not a goddamn chance I would put all the work and all the tears, literally, into this. 
Also, make us feel a little better about crying and let us know how much you cried, please. Thank you. <laughs> 657-464-7609. Do it. Call in. Let us know what you think. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been an exciting episode by Doubt. Jesus makes Bernie Sanders look like Ronald Reagan. <laughs>